whether it is startup or even not a startup, narrative building is important. And I always like to think of it in terms of lines, not dots. So whenever you see someone come and do a great presentation, sell a great story, etc., I don't feel it's there's there's no overnight success. That person has done a lot of work at the back end to shape something, right? Um, uh, typically, people who uh, have these based on narrative skills are using it all the time. So they would have had preliminary communication going out. They would have articulated it. Some bit of self selection of the audience would have happened over time, right? So uh, to uh, the success happens uh, when there's a fit between the audience. and the product and the content welcome to the story rules podcast with me ravi shankar ayer where we learn from some of the best storytellers in the world find their story and unearth the secrets of their craft today we speak with sajit pai vc at bloom ventures and arguably the most astute observer and thought leader on india's vibrant startup ecosystem so i've been a fan of sajit's writing for several years now he's got a rare gift of being able to discern patterns which are unseen yet obvious in hindsight he's able to then label them making it much easier to discuss and analyze for instance he created the indian consumer stack as four parts india 1 alpha india 1 india 2 and india 3 I'll put the link to the article in the show notes. Sajith has been a prolific writer on his blog, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. So over the years, as I followed his writings, I almost always found them sharing something new and insightful, in an easy to understand yet engaging manner. In short, to me, Sajith was a rare leader who's uh, an accomplished business executive turned successful investor who's also a gifted storyteller. So I'd been wanting to have him on the podcast for a very, very long time. and i must admit it was not easy getting him but somehow i persevered and uh, thankfully he was patient and uh, finally receptive to my request and i am so glad that i put in the fight because this is perhaps one of the most insightful conversations i've been a part of there are so many gems that uh, you know we discuss across such a wide range of topics that sajit shares uh, for instance um, he talks about in terms of information consumption why should you ditch newspapers and instead focus on curated newsletters and podcasts uh, he also talks about how everyone can sharpen their thinking learn from others and form better connections by doing one simple thing which is writing online there's also a discussion about why is it critical to choose the right metrics in measuring and rewarding performance and in telling data stories and we also talk about how a data presentation should be about lines and not dots you learn about that so across all these ideas you know the one common thread that stood out for me is sajit's deep empathy and regard for the reader so i, I think he's constantly figuring out how to craft his writing so that the reader understands it with the least amount of time and effort expended he's also been extremely remarkably open about his thinking and sharing all his success mantras I really hope you learn as much as I did from this fascinating conversation. Let's dive in. Hi Sajit, welcome to the Story Rules podcast. Hi, Ravi. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. 
Sajit, so I came across this quote by Legion, uh, who ex uh, Andreessen Horowitz, okay. uh, who had mentioned that there's an inside joke at A16Z yeah. uh, that they are actually a media company which just happens to monetize through venture yeah, capital. Yeah. And uh, I, the, the work that you do, I, I find a lot of you know similarities between what they are doing and what you're uh-huh. doing. And uh, I want to talk about um, a recent appointment that you had uh, uh, talked about on Twitter, uh-huh. where you had appointed an editorial. Yeah. Lead. for a vc firm and you wrote uh, i quote disha joins us to cover the exciting stories emanating from bloom's network uh-huh. stroke portfolio yeah. and storytell plus amplify ideas and thesis yeah. from the bloom fold yeah. we are doubling down on editorial plus narratives at bloom yeah. uh, end quote uh, two questions from this ajit sure. one is every business now a content business mm-hmm. right and i want to Mm-hmm. you know if if possible talk about when did this shift happen mm-hmm. because when i was growing mm-hmm. up i did not worry about acha you know uh, hll mujhe kya content kya de raha mm-hmm. hai or you know what content is being given to me by hll mm-hmm. or by bajaj or whatever mm-hmm. right and so when did this shift happen is something that i'd love to mm-hmm. know um and uh, two i would love to know whether you know personally mm-hmm. in your own mm-hmm. life when did you realize the power mm-hmm. of uh, of content mm-hmm. and how did you start kind of you know leveraging it yeah Okay, two uh, two good questions. Uh, so uh, we'll come to the second question in a bit. The first one, uh, so broadly, what happened and when did things change? Um, I think a lot has to do with how the tools of creation and publishing, and when I say publishing, I mean not just uh, stories, could be videos, could be audio content. Uh, kind of moved from the hands of gatekeepers so you had radio stations you had newspapers you had magazines uh, you had books uh, you know uh, so all of these had editorial gatekeepers who determined what could go and they mediated between the audience and ordinary people like us but sometime from the early 2000s uh, of course the internet began uh, the internet as we know it began in the mid 90s uh, through uh, through the through www and, and the browser but uh, primarily in the early uh, 2000s uh, through blogger through the rise of wordpress through podcasting through youtube we started seeing all of the powers of creation uh, publishing uh amplification uh come to the hands of people like us and i think it's that point uh and of course the, those trends have only got stronger and today you have almost push button publishing really you don't even have to think twice right twitter means anyone can become like a creator uh so that to me is i think the single most important uh, uh factor and what it does is that it created this concept called owned media o w n e d media we otherwise we've had paid media and we had earned media okay and organizations mediated through these to reach their audience so paid media was advertising that was the hero format right i mean okay uh earned media was news and to uh, and obviously news is of two kinds one is bad news about you which you can't control so there you try to put a spin but sometimes you you can you product launches 
through, for example, creating buzz, you can get media to cover you. And and so PR was the hero format for uh, earned media. But with owned media, O-W-N-E-D media, where you have the ability, storytelling becomes a primary way to influence content and to drive format. Uh, so that's like the storytelling is the native hero format for owned media. And the rise of owned media is what has really led to the importance of storytelling. Uh, long answer to a short question. I'll go to the second part, which I think you wanted me to talk about when did things change for me, right? I think that was that was a question. Yeah, when did you realize the power of? Yeah, so I had dabbled with trying to create content. I mean, if you kind of keep searching uh, and use Google cleverly, we'll come across some old blog posts of mine in the early 2000s. But I actually took a small career crisis uh, in the late uh, knots in 2010, primarily, where I kind of got a sense that uh, uh, and there was some internal realignment and uh, suddenly what I was working on, uh, I wasn't working on that, I was working on something else. So I kind of realized that in large organizations uh, that, uh, you know, you really don't have, uh, I mean, uh, I think I need to kind of articulate this well. Uh, in large organizations, you pretty much have an internal brand. And to the extent that your internal brand fits with their needs, requirements, you will do well. But externally, you don't have that power, right? And I sort of decided that let me try and build an external brand and to kind of increase my degrees of freedom. And also spent a long time, um, 13 years in one industry. And I felt that I was getting trapped into that industry and I couldn't move into exciting industries. So I said, hey, let me try and create content as sort of like a calling card to kind of think aloud and kind of create an online scene. I was reading all of these interesting books and I thought, like, let me try and take something on personal branding from there. So it kind of began like that. And I think the early 2010s is when I kind of started. I set up my own website, I started creating content, etc. cetera. Uh, I kept it going, but let me tell you honestly, for the first six, seven years, I must have written about 70, 80 pieces. And barring two, three, uh, I don't think anybody noticed even one of them. So that's uh, Publishing today was much easier, uh, but uh, those days it was long and lonely and hard. I'll kind of pause here, Yeah. This is so fascinating, uh, Sajit. And, you know, I love this differentiation between um, earned, uh, paid and uh, owned media. So one uh, key driver you're talking about is technology. And I'm guessing what you're saying is the need to put out your story and the need to hear others' stories was always there. It was just that we didn't have the distribution mechanism, uh, which uh, became democratized with, with technology. The other angle that I want to talk about uh, when we talk about businesses becoming content businesses, mm-hmm. you know, every, every business now needs to become a content business, is w- what is the role that content does? And I, you know, look back to uh, one of the foundational storytelling frameworks, which is uh, Aristotle's ethos, pathos, logos, mm-hmm. uh, and so logos is logic, pathos is emotional element, ethos is your like, credibility or trust. And if you keep putting out good content, which helps other people, which you know is tailored to solving problems for other people, you're essentially building that ethos part, mm-hmm. right? And so, which is what you've been doing for in your own at your own brand level since uh, early 2010s. And uh, uh, many other companies have realized the power of and are doing. Mm-hmm. Bloom is doing that. A16Z is doing that. Do you feel that enough companies, uh, stroke startups, are doing it? Or they, they, there should be much more of that happening. Uh, where do you see that? You know that, that the need to 
share good content, build trust in the customer, and hopefully then they will you know come to you when they need to buy. Yeah, uh, I do think there are enough companies doing it. Uh, so, um, and some cases there are individual uh, CEOs who kind of do that a lot more. Like for example, two examples. And since I'm from the startup world, uh, uh, it'll be from the startup industry. For example, Sugar uh, Kaushik, uh, who's one of who's the co-founder of Sugar, Benita's husband. He runs a great content uh, kind of uh, uh, playbook, right? Um, then there is Kunal Shah of Cred. Kunal, Cred yeah. itself doesn't very, very publish powerful. as much, but he does a lot more thinking aloud, really, so to say. So these are two examples. Kaushik is la- is there on Twitter, but LinkedIn is actually stronger medium for him. Uh, so and then you have Kunal of Cred for Twitter is very things out aloud. So these are two examples uh, where the organization doesn't do as much, but the CEO or the chief, one, of, one of the founders takes on that role really. Uh, I do feel that this tendency of organizations doing a lot more uh, kind of uh, storytelling is a little bit more stronger in B two B. Uh, okay, especially SaaS startups, where content is used as a way to engage with prospective customers, or at least get prospective customers to kind of uh, uh, kind of discover you. Uh, and one part of that is a lot more science, like so content marketing, SEO, uh, sort of using pillar content. So HubSpot, for example, kind of invented some of the building blocks of this, but even before HubSpot. This, it's not like this didn't exist. Uh, and and post-HubSpot, there's a bunch of folks, like, for example, who have kind of come together to kind of create them and lay down the building blocks. So that, that's sort of like the industrialized part of storytelling, etc. But on the extreme uh, other side, there's also like an art part, which is really uh, kind of uh, 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 saying interesting things and, and, and kind of shaping the brands, people's view of the brand, for example. So, which I told you, the cred and sugar are good examples. So, so this is sort of, I would say, uh, so in, in short, enough people are doing it uh, a little bit more globally, a little less so in India. Uh, but uh, the uh, it is kind of, it, you're beginning to see it uh, kind of accelerate in India as well. So, uh, another example is uh, Vibhav Sisinthi of Growth School. Uh, and uh, who's who, who who does publish great great content etc. Uh, so so these are about three examples that I gave you. Uh, but I would say that uh, the 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 best examples of these are really more globally, where funds as well as founders kind of do that. So I kind of pause here and uh, wait for you to weigh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know when I was thinking about this one. Um, Left off field example that struck me, especially when I was thinking about using content to build trust, mm-hmm. uh, was Patanjali. Okay. Because they started with uh, you know with the with this channel and you know talking mm-hmm. about yoga and you know, the right diet yeah, and etc. And built that trust in the that you know hey this guy is reliable mm-hmm. and then now you know they are uh, monetizing that trust in. Uh, oh, it's, a, it's a great example of a content first brand. Essaying hmm. into many fields. Uh, hmm. A parallel example is Red Bull, where people say is a you know uh, it's a seven billion dollar media company with uh, with a beverage uh, attached, which actually brings in most of the money. Yeah. Uh, so so that's another example of that. Uh, 
uh, A16Z is the other example which keeps getting quoted around uh, uh, carry funded publishing company or like you know uh, like 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 a, a, a company media company which also incidentally runs a venture venture fund on the sides. All slightly snide remarks, but they do both well. Uh, but these are all great examples that you're seeing uh, to kind of complement your Patanjali example. Yeah. Coming now to. Um... People who are not, let's say, startup founders who got a bit of a, uh, you know, presence and and stuff. Let's take a mid-career professional, mm-hmm. right? Who's you know maybe thirty-five to forty, mm-hmm. forty-five age, mm-hmm. uh, very very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Have a lot of good content. Maybe consume also a lot of good stuff, mm-hmm. but they don't have any great uh, social media presence mm-hmm. to speak mm-hmm. of uh, or a blog or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you advise them that you know a how important is it for them to start doing something mm-hmm. uh, better than nothing mm-hmm. in terms of building their personal brand and how can they you know start slowly building up that presence yeah <clears throat> so i would say that um, uh, a big reason uh, for uh, creating content uh, is really to promote yourself and to drive visibility okay so that that would be a big reason if that's not a overwhelming need uh, and typically i find that people who start out to publish a lot more on linkedin uh typically i find that they are either going through a bit of a career uh it is easy how it is but of a career crisis so to say can a crisis doesn't mean that they've lost a job or something but they kind of feel trapped and they feel like uh creating content creating uh, a kind of a brand will kind of help them kind of get more degrees of freedom uh so clearly a lot of people who create uh, come from the need that it will help them create a brand so uh, so creating some visibility for yourself outside of your normal circles has to be is typically a key driver second i would say this creating anything and typically writing is the easiest way because uh, like writing is easily created like we just create something uh you know easily discoverable because of the nature of it etc because of google search etc but sometimes people do create podcasts and it's a little more harder to start that up and sustain it but people do uh, uh sometimes people do youtube uh and that's also fine uh but all of this does a second thing which is they are all indirectly ways of thinking out aloud so the first mm. is publicity for yourself but second is the ways of thinking out aloud and writing is actually my medium for thinking aloud okay it, it is hard to think uh, it is painful uh, there's a lot of cognitive energy required writing makes it simpler because writing or any creative uh, form allows for engagement and feedback you also begin to take intellectual risks in public and to me taking intellectual risks in public is actually the fastest way to learn something so that's a third part of creation or storytelling all of these are linked helping you build a brand helping you think out aloud which actually in, improves your uh, business decisions because and third is learning uh, which gets accelerated because people give you feedback etc so i would say anyone looking to kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, create uh, should keep in mind that sometimes uh, you know it's not necessarily publicity but actually even creating smaller pieces like for example what sustained me the first 6 7 years of my writing 
was the latter two aspects because none of them were really very very popular stuff right but also i struggled to like the first 6 7 years i barely had 1000 followers it takes a long time to build that up and then it just accelerates uh uh so so i would say the helping me think out aloud and even the 1500 people uh, who uh, kind of uh, kind of gave me feedback and sometimes it's not like they discovered this i would actually send this to them i would send a 50 of them of which two used to reply but the feedback from those two was interesting so so i would say these two actually help you in your career also when you create something like for example it could be someone who's a sales person let's say okay selling to uh, like large institutions and that person may say that look these are the three principles of negotiation that i've used and i negotiate every day and i negotiate crores worth and these are the three things i've learned and that is great wisdom you know someone who's been doing the last 10 years someone who's on the other side may reach out and say hey thanks mr x for writing this add one more point to it or this doesn't work in this industry to learn so so i would say this is the broad advice that i would give it's never to be start off there are advantages even if it doesn't result in like you know when one two people uh, kind of uh, uh, reaching out to you because the second part of it which is helping you think aloud would be fulfilled and you can always create distribution by and linkedin is a great place to start writing on linkedin should be the first place for anyone to start because you already have look if you are 35 37 years old and if you've been working for the last 12 14 years even if you're uh, even if you've taken say uh, breaks for maternity or whatever you still have been working for 8 10 years you would have at least 500 people who know you right you will get automatic distribution amongst those 500 people and writing is the easiest way to begin start with doing something very simple and a lot of people don't realize that they may know something about an industry which is actually interesting to the outside world right and so it could be about let's say you're working in a very boring industry you may find and there may be two three interesting things which no one knows that you know so you can always share start with that etc so this is broadly what i would uh, say ravi and happy, happy to hear your views on this yeah this great advice ajit yeah i completely agree in fact my journey kind of mirrors this right i uh realized that you know it is it is important for me of course in my case it was important because i was going to be a solopreneur and i had to build and i started uh, writing a blog uh, sometime quite late in life 2017 so it's been about 5 years now and uh, as you rightly say that you know you you post a blog and then you you hear or it's written somewhere that you know you should put it on your own blog because seo is better yeah. uh, rather than you know give control but then what the moment i moved to linkedin it's a great yeah. starting point and now i'm not so dependent on linkedin but it is the first boost you yeah. need that boost i completely agree and uh, it's it's you, you've got a bunch of uh, people who are already connected to and then there was fairly good engagement and there were fairly good comments mm. and you know a lot of good questions that came up i did get a lot of work also mm. from that yeah. uh, linkedin and now i'm trying to replicate that same thing on twitter so it's it's useful to hear you say that you know it takes time 6 mm. 7 years mm. and you know it it is incredibly slow mm. so uh, you, even if people who try and start off now don't get disheartened yeah. you know it will take time but even if it meets that basic first level of go- goal of helping you think yeah. through something and put it out there that's that's great you uh, know very powerful um let's segue now uh, to your own entire um, content consumption reflection thinking oh. and the writing and the creation process uh, sajit I'm, i'm very curious about that and uh, you've of course written about the kind of books that you read you have summarized many of those books you are a a vesile uh, so, so to speak you, you don't listen so much but you get transcripts of podcasts and you read them 
so of course i want to talk a little bit about that but i want to start with an interesting quote that surprised me not from uh, you this is from paul graham mm-hmm. and he said that i don't read balance sheets or business plans and he says he prefers talking to founders yeah. uh which you know when when in the conversation on twitter it you know you basically were saying you know early stage companies you don't have yeah. anything you know it doesn't matter what they have done so yeah. far it's really the people and yeah. the uh and whatever so um what i wanted to ask you is uh, both for for your own work which is maybe the narrow work of you know the, the smaller part of investing and in the, the wider part of uh, knowing about india and in india and economy and culture and all of that what are some common information sources that you actually don't give too much importance that you usually avoid and what are some interesting sources that maybe others are kind of not looking at and that you you really depend a lot on mm. so uh you might find it interesting that i haven't read a newspaper other than maybe gla- glancing wow. at it in the last 3 to 4 years i think 2000 from a yeah. times background yeah yeah despite my times background so 2018 i gave it up completely but even 2016 17 i'd stopped consuming so the i think the last 6 years but the last 4 years very strongly so i don't read a single newspaper uh, that means also means i don't go to economictimes.com and whatever the website right, right? yeah so i don't uh, the reason uh, and and there's some interesting kind of uh, writings about this the most uh, influential is a person called rolf dobbly uh, and uh, he kind of wrote about uh this in a book uh, i forgot the name of the book but you can google rolf dobbly and art of thinking clearly was yes he wrote the book art of thinking clearly mm-hmm. it's the same guy he's written a book called mm. not consuming news and uh, mm. and i don't think it was necessarily influenced by that but uh, it kind of came from um, but he has articulated the reasons for that well so i don't read any news or anything like that i would say that uh for podcasts and newsletters are and the links that they give uh, uh more newsletters uh, would be the most likely places where i get news type of stuff i need to know what's happening in india for example i do uh, subscribe to about close to 70 newsletters but that's changing too the reason is i'll, I'll come to that So till 2021, I would subscribe about 70 newsletters, 50 to 70. You'd keep subscribing and subscribing, and the links from that would give me a picture of. You don't even necessarily need to go to that article. Sometimes you can just click on an article. The other one was Nuzzle, uh, which used to be very popular. Like for example, what it does is it kind of gives you, a, looks at your. Uh, now it's got subs- kind of uh, merged into Twitter Blue, which is going to come to India but hasn't come. But Twitter acquired it, so basically it just goes through your. Uh, Follow, looks at like who you're following, and then looks at what they have liked. It all gives you a top twenty, thirty news sources that are worth looking into. So if you look at Nuzzle, uh, and uh, even Twitter, Twitter is actually very good. But I would never really go to a news and definitely don't follow any site like don't follow EconomicTimes.com, TimesofIndia.com, etc., etc. So, uh, so this sort of like gave me a very idiosyncratic view of uh, of 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 the world but i think it's actually helped because what you do is you look at what's called lasting stuff because and this is the same thing talib also says that don't try to read more and more infrequent pieces of this thing like read books over magazine but you're reading magazines in a monthly magazine or a weekly magazine so re- if you if you if you're reading a newspaper read a weekly magazine over the on the daily one and so on and so forth 
of course look there are equally good examples of people who have done very well in life reading a newspaper every day and nothing else so don't uh, like this i, I don't have I, i don't think this any universal tool it just works for me uh, so podcast and again podcast transcripts because uh, i find it very hard there are podcasts i listen to but i'm not so much of a listener um uh, but podcast one good thing is you can always combine it with something else like driving for example or walking uh, so that's a good thing about podcasts and i do a lot of podcast transcript consumption okay so uh, and a lot of good podcasts today have transcripts which i go through uh newsletters and so for like about 50 to 70 newsletters uh, a particular site that i relied on was called the browser.com uh so pay them some 30 40 a year and browser would give me great content uh, so five articles a day and uh, those articles if you can read even one of them that would be very good but typically all are good articles worth reading so but actually speaking over the last three months or kind of 2022 i've actually stopped uh, uh, the newsletter site and i actually st- unsubscribe to the browser uh, for various reasons i'm actually trying to kind of uh, uh, focus on reading uh, actually so getting a book so uh, so want to kind of read a lot more around that topic so that's forced this on me but otherwise i would say um, reading um, uh, you know uh, like newsletters uh, uh, and not news was actually uh, the one of the best decisions i made yeah the prep stop here and wait for you to kind of uh, you know ask me questions yeah. Oh, this is this is so interesting, Sajid. Because uh, even now that habit, right? It's it's just habit, and uh, we in fact the pandemic did its best to try and yeah. wean us away from that yeah. habit. But as soon as uh, the newspaper delivery guy was back, yeah. we were like, no, we need it. <laughs> you need something yeah. with that morning coffee, yeah. and you know it's just yeah. uh, ingrained. To, uh, yeah, I think I think as uh, the younger generations would probably be completely weaned away from that. um uh, let me talk about uh, this is interesting i think where you talk about you know curated newsletters mm-hmm. where somebody else is doing the hard mm-hmm. work so I, i read i remember re- listening in a podcast somewhere that the the browser he's an ex economist guy right the yeah. guy who started the browser yeah. he reads some thousand articles or something yeah. or something yeah. like he's a machine yeah. uh, so he's doing a lot of hard work so yeah. you know you might as yeah. well uh, get that benefit so which is which is interesting um now whether whether it is a, a newsletter article or it's a podcast transcript uh, i'm going to get a little tactical do you print some of these out and read it or do you prefer to read it on a screen what yeah. kind of a screen yeah so um with transcripts um so i used to print it out um and i think it's worth printing it out and reading um it's just maybe it's me uh but uh, I, i used to kind of find it more i used to absorb better when i read on paper uh but it works differently for different people some people like to read on a kindle and a kindle or uh, ipad and use readwise to kind of capture notes so it depends on your workflow as well but off late what i've done is uh, all the paper is getting onto me i purchased a device called the remarkable 2 uh in fact uh, got it second hand and what i do is it's sort of a note but also an ebook reader it's a note taking device primarily but i use it as a uh, e reader I download all the PDFs typically onto it, and I can annotate it using a pencil, etc. And I can then uh, share it back um, uh, uh, to my computer and kind of extract the key notes from there. So I use uh, this uh, device called the Remarkable Two for my reading. Uh, so so all articles, PDFs, reports, uh, and it's 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 sort of interesting that uh, you know you can uh, like like books. It's, like you can always have physical books or 
of devices like the Kindle to read. But articles, for example, uh, the challenge is you kind of reading it along with mail or uh, kind of you're reading it on a screen. Sometimes it's painful, sometimes useful, sometimes painful to absorb. So I kind of like the Remarkable too. It's actually made a lot of difference to my reading. So what I typically do is I download uh, like you know two three times a week I kind of download the PDFs onto the onto the, the device and uh, it syncs. I kind of download it to a particular app on my uh, stick like a folder on my on my computer and then syncs with the device and then I just take the device out. It syncs by then and I kind of read through it. So I try and read about an hour a day on that device. Uh, it's it's sort of not easy on the eye. So that's a tactical intervention that's helped. It kind of carves out that time, which is seven to nine, uh, seven, 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 seven thirty to nine when I'm back, and that's dinner time as well. And now, so it, it, it works. So, but look, uh, different things work for different people. There are no universal truths. So, yeah. No, but these do trigger thoughts, uh, Sajid, because uh, even for you know people who might be struggling with that last mile thing. Okay, you know, I want to do it, but you know, and this might be that final, you know. Uh, piece that you know makes a jigsaw complete so this is interesting i'd never heard of this mm-hmm. device you know i i use a kindle but this sounds like a an interesting yeah. variant of the kindle yeah. which is more uh, relevant for non book uh, kind of uh, you know reading um you you mentioned about the time which is about 7:30 to 9 uh, do you uh, separately take out or try and make out time for pure long form reading which is books and you know in any other classic kind of yeah. uh, work uh, and, and is or is it included usually yeah, in this yeah. So broadly, three buckets. Um, so the first bucket is to do with this particular book that I'm working on. Uh, that's to do with product market fit, uh, sort of. Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of reading to do with that, and uh, sometimes it's also conversations. Uh, but let's say that could be books, podcasts, articles. So I typically, do that in the morning. So wake up in the morning and spend about a couple of hours on that. Uh, the second uh, is this usually pre pre breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre breakfast. Uh, sort of. Uh, either the first thing in the morning or the second thing in the morning mm. after exercise. Because I, I mean, I mm. find that if uh, you know, if if I don't kind of before I start working, uh, if I don't kind of do this, I find it never gets done. So whatever is so critical mm. for you, I I feel like it's it's just got to get factored in early in the morning. Before you start work, because once you start work, there's no end to work, right? Uh, and unless you're working in like a government office where, like, you know, and and it's fine. I mean, you know, yeah. But our lot of our work doesn't end. I'm sure it's similar with you. You can work for 15 yeah. hours a day also, do not get end, not end. So so then you probably need to have very finite carve outs. And and what I do is like I carve out the mornings into these non-negotiable things, simply exercise and and the readings and the writings for the book and. Then in the evenings I'm back. Um, to be very honest with you, uh, it's not like I'm super disciplined and I get everything done every day. But if you can get three to four days out of six or seven, that's fine, right? So uh, and when I come back, for example, uh, uh, I do try and go to office every day. It helps, like your structure to the day. But typically, when I'm, go- when I'm on the road, sometimes I read. Uh, okay, and at least one one of the scripts I read. The remarkable. It's easy to read in the metro or in the car, etc. But after I come back, typically seven thirty to about eleven tends to be at home, uh, where uh, typically there are a lot of messages coming through, and you're replying to those messages. Uh, that never ends. Uh, it's sort of part of the work, but uh, I, there's no computer time really required then. Once short messages that you need to reply to or short mails, but around the seven thirty to nine, I typically do at least one hour on the remarkable. 
And then 9 to 10, 30, 11, before I go to bed, I do an hour on a book. Like, you know, so, so that's sort of the routine, the book. So that's a third part. So morning is computer reading uh, because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of related to a particular topic. Uh, evening is a typically remarkable podcast transcripts primarily. And one of my big learnings is that, um, and, 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 and is to double down, triple down on podcast transcripts. Because I find that podcast transcripts are the biggest bang for the buck you can get in the world of startup tech content. Because uh, in the startup tech world, uh, unlike in business where HBR would be, someone would write a very uh, kind of uh, uh, definitive piece and publish that in HBR or something like that. Here, it's very hard for founders to sit and write out uh, something. They, not every founder does. So podcasts become a great way for the founder to give their distilled wisdom. And it's very well curated by hosts, etc. So I find that uh, the, 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 my biggest discovery was that if I just stopped, other than the use, other than there are about five, six writers, like Paul Graham writes anything I read, like there's Eugene Way or Kevin Kwok, for example. These are people, there are a few more. Whatever they write, I end up trying to read. But barring these four, unless it's a very celebrated piece of writing, uh, I don't, and unless many other people have recommended to me, I don't read that. What I instead do is I try and read at least one transcript uh, a day. Like, you know, that's a target I can have set up. So about 20, 25 uh, pieces a month, which is more than enough. And uh, the last is a book. Uh, that book tends to be like either a novel. I try and alternate between a novel and uh, nonfiction or fiction, as I call it. So, so that's sort of the routine. I hope it gives you a sense. Not super disciplined. It doesn't like happen every day, but broadly, I would say 60, 70 percent of the time this happens. Yeah. This is incredible, uh, Sajit. I think, and it kind of shows in in the way you're uh, able to write on such diverse topics in such uh, depth. Um, I want to talk about the notes that you take either from the remarkable. Yeah. Do you use a Kindle also? No, I don't use a Kindle. I uh, all books, physical books. So, uh, uh, so. And do you try and use Readwise using a scanner? No, or I don't use no, Readwise. That's too much effort. No, I don't use Readwise. And uh, I think this probably. Uh, the most uh, uh, kind of convenient format today is Kindle and Readwise, linked to either a Notion or Rome. I'm not denying that. It's probably the best. Uh, uh, but I actually uh, have a slightly different philosophy. So I believe that uh, process is greater than product. So I feel that I think the primary goal is to hit a workflow. And once you come to a workflow, uh, then I would say that uh, you now need to kind of uh, uh, kind of do everything you can do to support the workflow. And I think the primary point of notes is to create something. So I find that a lot of us get fascinated by notes or trying to create notes. The most elegant note-taking people are obsessed with tools. But I actually use Apple Notes, and uh, it's 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 not necessarily the best. Probably it's basic. Yeah, it's basic, right? Uh, but it's the most important thing is I can quickly access it whenever I want something. And uh, I find that intentionally using a very simplistic basic tool uh, kind of makes you focus on uh, the uh, not the form but the content. Okay, uh, and I think the basic purpose of note taking is to use it for creation. So a lot of people get uh, and and no note app actually has a, a, a way for you to re-access the notes. 
you'll so let's say you're reading a book okay and let's say it's a trillion dollar coach and um, you actually write down seven eight points and then you've forgotten them you may write a summary of it immediately you've forgotten them but if there's a way in which let's say you are writing something on empathy and while writing that empathy there was a way for you to go to your note this thing and look at all the people who said empathy and take out those four points for example but we don't do that as much to me the the best note taking device would actually prompt you while you are writing in that okay uh, what all notes exist and i find that all of us get obsessed over creating new notes no one gets excited over accessing old notes and but if i actually look at it and i, I find that i have to like really push myself to do that i actually feel like all of the stuff you need is really there like you know if you've taken like 1000 notes i don't think you really need more than it just revisiting those notes is is is, mm-hmm. is of course i'm overdoing it i'm over exaggerating this but uh, this is sort of my philosophy process over product or uh, like workflows greater than tools and uh, work with very basic uh, kind of uh, uh, tools or devices or products i uh, don't get excited by newer shinier tools and uh, yeah sorry you're dying to say something yeah no this is so cool yeah no 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 yeah it's it's um yeah you're right i mean it, it triggers so many thoughts ajit and i've had a an interesting journey over the last one year mm-hmm. so you of course are aware of tiago's uh, uh, building a second mm-hmm. brain course and uh, it's amazing right a multi million dollar yeah. course yeah. on on note taking yeah. <laughs> interesting world we live in yeah. so um uh, it was it was useful for me i definitely i think uh, it gave, gave me a way to at least concentrate okay. all my uh, all my thoughts in, in into one one place that was i think useful and um, I, i did have the evernote app on my system earlier but i never used it the way i should yeah. and now yes you know as you're rightly saying my notes are all there and uh, i'm a kindle readwise evernote person and um, i don't do too much articles so you know remarkable is an interesting one uh, i i used to always uh, you know obsess about you know podcasts also and you know th- there are in the iphone i believe there are apps where if you liked a, a conversation in a podcast you you click and yeah. then you know it syncs with readwise and yeah. all of that happens um so but you're right you know i've got all these great notes and evernote is actually pretty good you mm. know if if i want to pick up a certain uh, keyword all i do all i have to do is search and it will actually look at all my book notes all the road notes that, that i've written in fact the the integration is so good that if i search on google then one tab on the side is my evernote my own evernote notes but that last mile is not See. happening sajit and uh, you know it's i'm like thinking i'm actually not using it uh, i don't actually go back to some you know something that i read in 2015 i've never done that so far so i'm still in the hope that no, it will eventually i will use it sometime uh right now i'm just you know just building that uh, that big uh, castle yeah. i don't know but uh, so yeah i mean do you have a uh, any sort of a system to go yeah. back to whatever yeah. uh, especially whether it's remarkable yeah. or whatever anything to go back yeah. to so realize that the best way to go back to something is to create a forcing function and the forcing function is actually creating an article so so what it means is uh let's say uh any if you're if you're writing frequently like it's a newsletter right i don't know if you have a newsletter but let's say you have a newsletter and if you have a newsletter uh every week or every fortnight or every month you got to release something and let's say you keep topics that you could write about okay so this time let's say you will write about like for example 
storytelling in the B2B world or like, you know, uh, like whatever. So, um, and uh, that point, um, uh, let's say you have these keywords, B2B, okay, SaaS startup, uh, you know, uh, content marketing, uh, et cetera, et cetera, SEO. And when you, when you have those topics written about, when you're kind of sitting down to write for that, and sort of what the Tiago course is, talks about not doing heavy lifts. Uh, to, uh, and, and what it means is just search for the content that you have on SEO, B2B, in your notes. So don't start blank. Like you already have the content. Then what, I, what, what you could do is extract that out and put it into the Word document or wherever you're writing that, right? And that forcing function uh, of using what you are working on to kind of spur you to search your notes is typically the best way to access notes at that. I find that I tried things where I would say Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, sit down, open your thing and search one hour of reading. It's interesting, like, right? But I find that I did it like once or twice out of one month, two months or after I gave up. Instead, I find that create a forcing function which forces you to look at the notes. Other one is that Evernote, I think there are some interesting kind of... Uh, apps or tools or kind of Chrome uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, 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 extension. Uh, sorry, uh, the extension. Chrome extensions, my apologies. Hmm. Yeah, Chrome extensions, uh, which actually uh, link with your Evernote and throw out a very interesting note. Say you're sitting to write and suddenly something comes on like South African cricket team and how they use storytelling or something like that. I'm just giving you random examples, right? So this is actually a good way, uh, serendipity. Notes should spark serendipity. And uh, so I would say that the, the best way to access your old notes is to use them to create something. And, 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 and that is what I would say. The other way is actually you could sit one day, you want to write something, you run out of topics, just go through your notes and take out some four. Just search for something and take out six, seven things are written about it and write. Like, you know, yeah. I need to do more of that, yeah, Sajid. So I do have a newsletter, a weekly one, which is more, uh, right now it's kind of morphed into a content curation yeah. uh, piece on in the world of storytelling. And for that, you don't necessarily need to go back. Of course, you know, all my uh, content ideas for that newsletter, I store in that um, in that app only, so that that helps. Uh, but I, yeah, I think whenever I've done any long form, then it's really, really useful. Yeah, yeah it, it kind of, you know, all the stuff that you've written in the past, it really helps. Okay, so I want to now segue from the the content consumption to the reflection process. And uh, I really like this evocative post you had written sometime back uh, called Shower Thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought you were going to write about a thought that occurred to you in the shower. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, no, it's such a much more in-depth piece, which, which is a litmus test of sorts to find out whether an employee is truly engaged in the company or not. Yeah. And so you talked about, you know, this you know, this book or an article, I forget, where there are different categories of employees. There will be some people who are only mm. giving about, you know, 10 to 25% focus in the company. But there are people who are, you know, giving more than 50% of their attention, the most scarce resource mm. for a company that they're working for, not a company that they own, not a company that they founded. Mm. And that those are the guys who are probably thinking of the problems mm. that the company is facing, even in the shower. Mm. And that's a good litmus test to see that, you know, how, how engaged are your employees. I love that. So, you. Uh, you know, I'd love for you to talk about sure. that. And also, how do you uh, get some of your best ideas? Mm -hmm. uh, what are the places and the times? Do you uh, leave it to serendipity and, and to shower moments? Or do you sometimes actually try and engineer them mm -hmm. in some way? Yeah. yeah. 
No, thanks for the kind words about our thoughts. Mm. So, I would say that uh, I, I think Naval spoken about this, but not just Naval. There are many others uh, about how uh, the best work or the or, or, or is is when it feels like play. It, it should feel like you have an unfair advantage, right? Like, uh, and I find that. uh it's very important uh to kind of engineer that in your career right so uh it's sort of uh call it the meta game that there is a game you can play right you can become a sales person in a saas company or you can become like a marketer in consumer products etc but if you don't if you don't have an unfair advantage then if you don't like for example uh if if that's just if you if if like you are you are fungible there like you can be replaced with someone then what's the point of playing trying to play that game well instead play the game you're an unfair advantage so sort of and the meta game is very important in, in on the career front or in business etc Play the game with an unfair advantage, and to me, I think it took me a long time to get into venture, and it was a happy series of accidents which got me here. But to me, I think this is a place where I'm able to have fun playing. Right? I work like late hours, long hours. It doesn't feel like work. And all of us probably have one, two careers. Maybe some of us could maybe have more careers, whatever. But play that game, and I would say that shower thoughts is really a reflection of that. There are certain people for whom shower thoughts don't feel like work. Okay, uh, shower uh, people say, "Oh my God, take a break, man." Yeah, I mean, how much do you think about work? But that person is really enjoying that. That person is saying, "Yeah, I really enjoy this." Like, I mean, I mean, for me, like to go back home and do the same thing that I'm doing in office, joy, like no. And sort of a reading that I had about uh, fantastic article, the modernity of excellence, which I referred to in that article. It's about elite swimmers and. so like michael phelps and so on and so forth right so one of the things that distinguishes them is the hours of practice put in cold water every morning 4 am etc so they actually said how can you do this like you know and they were it's so monotonous right exactly. i mean it's exactly just the repetitiveness but actually these people were having fun doing it okay so so that is what made it possible for them to have that monotonous repetitive thing so the unfair advantage discover that play the meta game first uh if and also if you don't have shower thoughts then maybe i mean we have the privilege today and if you're privileged if if for example i mean a lot of us who listen to this are super privileged uh we don't have to worry about hunger we don't have to worry about all of that then we can and if if you don't have people in need etc if you're beyond that uh then you have the ability to use This is a litmus test, even the other way around. For you to sense that, am I getting shower thoughts in this job? If not, I don't know if the job is for me. Let me do a job where I'm getting shower thoughts. Where I'm obsessed about it. Where I can do something great. Uh, so this is sort of uh, uh, there. Uh, I don't know if there was a follow-up question, but uh, I kind of. Uh, yeah. So the follow-up was on your own process for uh, reflection and coming up with, and I will talk about some of the uh, cool ideas that you come up with in your work mm-hmm. or in in your writing. 
So, um, like for me, I'll tell you a couple of uh, places. Of course, you know the, the shower is 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 the favorite. It it always generates ideas. It's it's crazy. I got a question for today's <laughs> podcast in today morning shower. Uh, but one uh, small way by which I try to engineer is uh, earlier I used to go for walks and. Um, so let me tell that a little bit of a journey, right? So earlier for me, a walk meant a podcast. It had to be, you know, otherwise, you know, walking can be so boring and podcast became my way to enjoy my walk. And then sometimes I used to go for the walk without a podcast just to, you know, okay, let my mind wander. And a lot of people come up with ideas on their walks. And then, um, I moved from walking to cycling, uh, sometime back. And so now uh, often I go for a cycle ride with a problem in mind that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm stuck on this article or I'm stuck on this project and, uh, not always, but often something will come. So similarly, do you have any way to engineer uh, ideas? Uh, in, in your yeah, I think you said something very, very interesting there uh, about letting your mind wander. And I think uh, there's one takeaway from this uh, practical takeaway is that please create conditions where you can be alone without doing anything. Like for example, why do we get our best ideas in the shower? Because that's the only place where your mind can wander. Because like you said, I'm going out, okay, one hour, let me listen to something. Today, we don't, like, for example, you, like, this is like a Twitter joke or something, right? I saw a person sitting there silently, having coffee without doing anything. He's a psychopath, like, for example, right? So it's the same thing. We, we, we get very, uh, like, for example, let's say, uh, uh, it's a trick, right? Let's say you and I are having coffee or you're having coffee with a friend and suddenly you get a call, right? And you take that, you tell the friend, hey, let me just take this call. It's very important. And you take the call. Imagine the friend just sitting there calmly without doing anything. You'll actually cut the call short and you'll actually just wait a big one minute, one minute. Whereas if he or she takes a phone and goes through it, you feel relieved. Okay? Huh, they're doing something. So, so we've actually created conditions where we don't want our mind to wander. And then all, then, Shower is one place where you can't do anything else. And suddenly you get all your ideas in the shower. So what you, what you, I like what you're doing, which is to do certain physical activities. And this is one of the things which I want to kind of rebring in my life. That for various reasons, uh, I kind of stopped running, which was sort of a very important part of my life till 2015, 16. And then slowly I kind of stopped running. I actually want to bring running and cycling perhaps back. Because I want to kind of use that opportunity to let my mind wander. Last two years was tough also because of COVID. You couldn't run without a mask. All of that issues. Things are improving now. So I would say that uh, what you're doing is absolutely right. It's the right thing to do. Create conditions where 30, 40, 50 minutes you can let your mind wander. And you will actually end up having ideas, each one of them. It's not very important to, I feel, even write that down. I think we make a fetish of it because if it's an important idea. It keeps coming back two, three times. I find that my uh, ideas for writing come in conversations, like, for example, like when I have sparring conversations with my founders, etc. It comes from th there. Um, sometimes it comes from reading something. Sometimes it comes from a contradiction that I see. If I see a certain contradiction, why is this the way it is, etc.? So I find that uh, having uh, try to explain something to someone and someone says, hey, it's very good. You should actually write this down sometimes. They tell me these days. So these are all ways in which I get my ideas. Um, uh, but uh, I, I feel that the best thing we can do is to actually do nothing and to let our mind wander. And it's the hardest thing to do today. We find that the guys of productivity, we have to fill every single minute with 
something and i am guilty of that as well uh, but yeah so this very there you go it happens so often sajid that uh, uh, it'll be like okay you know i i'm reading an article and i know it's time to you know brush my teeth before going to bed it's so difficult to not continue reading while you're yeah. brushing your teeth yeah, yeah. for christ's sake yeah so it's it's crazy and you're right so yeah. i think creating uh, just time for, for for just you know aimless wandering is useful yeah. let's now move from so that, that we talked about uh, the content consumption and and the reflection and uh, now before it actually comes out to writing on paper um i'm calling this as a narrative building process in your mind where you're kind of you know trying grappling with all these ideas and trying to figure out you know hey what what does this mean uh is there a pattern here uh, what's a contradiction as you as you mentioned and so um three four points around that so one point i want to talk about is uh, um if you're trying to write about a particular uh topic uh, the balance maintaining that balance between going in with a hypothesis Uh, so that you know you're not going in completely blank slate uh, uh, but guarding against confirmation bias mm-hmm. um and i i you know there's this famous line that you know you, you should have strong views but weakly yeah. held and uh, i remember you uh, saying this in uh, amit verma's podcast where you said that you know that uh, over the years you've trained yourself to change the views yeah. if the data changes mm-hmm. now it's really difficult to do that you know and h- how can someone try and build that muscle and how is it that you have tried to manage that challenge yeah. Well, it's been hard. Uh, I think one superpower I have, um, and I've trained myself, is to admit uh, to something that is wrong. So I have no ego when it comes to learning. Uh, so there's a kind of variant of this. I uh, there was a friend of mine who was going through a little bit of a uh, trouble once, and uh, on on his business. and i took him to a kind of a senior person in my company uh, and uh, so that gentleman actually said something very interesting he said look uh, and this guy was like a like a like a south indian middle class boy like you know so he told him look one thing about you south indian boy is something like that he said like you are typically not business guys i i, I think he was just being uh, kind of uh, stereotypical but let's stick with this and he said look i sure. don't understand that uh, in business you can't have an ego the business can have an ego but you cannot have an ego so if you need to salute something salam something humiliate yourself to get something for the business you should do that because you will make money that way so that stayed with me and it's sort of the larger principle is it's the same thing that dhirubhai ambani used to say right i'll salam anyone to get my file passed the business has an ego the businessman can't have an ego same way i think the learner can't have an ego and i think if if you believe that you need to learn by taking intellectual risks in public and if that's the fastest way to learn then part of taking intellectual risks in public is to say that hey i was wrong and i i am very happy to admit to that in public like internally a lot of people uh, argue with me uh, even young folks like they push uh, hard okay and then finally i actually turn around say yeah you're right i got this wrong like you know and i think that disarms them and i think people love to then engage with you they bring you bad news etc and i think it's been a super part uh, i have no ego uh, if 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 like uh, at the same time i find that if you want to be right all the time and i've had a boss who wanted to be right all the time right um very successful guy so worked for him maybe i don't know if he worked today worked for him then i find that like that 
then leads to much less debate. You don't engage, you don't take the intellectual risks in public because you don't want to be wrong. And I find that I have to put out a strong view. Uh, yes, I will be wrong. Uh, there are times when I kind of, uh, in fact, sometimes when I start writing, I then share a draft with a few people. People read back and say, no, I don't agree with you. I've actually changed things. Not quite 180, but I've changed things. So I'd say all of these go together, taking intellectual risks in public as a primary way to learn. Uh, strong news weekly health, which is sort of a big mantra for me. Uh, three, not being embarrassed to acknowledge that you're wrong and kind of, uh, and then what it does is it invites the best people to kind of come and give you feedback because they feel that you're not going to shoot them, right? So all of these go together. And the other one related to this is that I am very happy to give credit to good ideas and people. I, I don't have this feeling that I have to think of every great idea. So what I'm trying to do in all of this is to create a kind of uh, uh, create a platform for truth to emerge, really. And I am sort of the kind of the chief evangelizer for the truth to emerge. And it's fine uh, because I feel like eventually you will get the credit for that. But I, I'm, I'm very uh, shameless about giving credit to people, acknowledging that they're right. All of this goes together. It is sort of something I've trained myself. I'm not embarrassed to admit I'm wrong. I'm not going that. Yeah. But it may not work for everyone. I think one place where this, where, where such a skill comes from, Sajit, is that, you know, your work is good and you're secure in that, right? That, you know, I don't have to do anything more yeah. or less that, you know, I know I'll get some things wrong, but over uh, the period of time, you know, if I'm getting a reasonable hit rate, then I'm good. Yeah. Uh, was, is that like a genesis of this, you know, where you, where you like this, even when really young or where there's some incident or incidents, which, you know, slowly helped you mold towards this? I think this. I think you said you said something very important. I think uh, it is kind of in sync with my role and my work. Um, venture is a place where you can get eight things wrong. You will get eight things wrong, but the two things that are right, of which one thing could be super right, is enough to take care of that. So I think I do have these tendencies have become stronger, and these are tendencies which help you because uh, uh, in in your work. In times, I don't think I was as, uh, this thing, I was a little more cautious. But broadly, one thing I've been okay with is to change my views. And so I would say in times, I was not as forthright about this, uh, being accepting that I was wrong, but I was very happy to change my views. And uh, that doesn't mean that I kind of vacillate from one thing to the other. But I sort of say that, hey, because of this, 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 this is likely to be true. And then the discussion is about because of this, this, this. Like, you know, uh, I was always uh, clear about laying out the assumptions, you know, why I'm saying something. So this was there in times as well, because a lot of uh, work I did in times were on new projects, etc. Uh, where, for example, you were doing a lot of hypothesis. So, uh, and I would try and spur the discussion around to those assumptions. Uh, that, but, but you're right. Uh, I had, do have the luxury today of being secure, knowing that one success so my, my job is very, very outcome driven, right? It's trying to do the right things in the right way doesn't matter. Like I'm not an accountant in that sense. Broadly, if 10 investments, one does brilliantly and nine fail, I'm, I'm still made a lot more money for my company. So uh, I know what you're saying. Uh, so to some extent, I would acknowledge that. But I would say that all of us can have aspects of this and which is sort of uh, uh, maybe one is, 
to be open to changing your views if the data changes and there's nothing wrong with that and create that humility actually kind of go, ripples to the entire organization and okay and 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 sort of the other one is uh, uh, kind of uh, i would say uh, kind of related to strong views weekly held uh, setting out your hypothesis and also the assumptions and what needs to be for to work and uh, sort of linked to the first first part as well and not being unafraid to change your views is to actually test things out like you know and and and, and sort of yeah so i hope i'm able to you know clarify this very much asajit <clears throat> i want to move to uh, another technique of uh, narrative building which is the ability to uh, see discern patterns in data uh, which may not be very apparent to to somebody looking at it from outside so the ability to study something from a distance uh, find patterns and then uh, most interestingly to come up with new vocabulary mm. with new terms yeah. which then everybody can then say oh yeah oh now i see it oh yeah so uh, and you you've done this so often now that you know i i have a like so many options to talk about so i want to talk about two quick yeah. ones uh, including one detail uh, so of course the the whole labeling that you have given to um india's uh, economic classes mm-hmm. right so uh, there are different ways in which you you call it whether it's india 1 india 1a india 2 etc uh, there are people who call it bharat uh, i love this other one that you uh, wrote in this uh, the industry report which is sastra yeah. and i'm going to quote from the report uh so i begin uh, quote it is worth noting that none of the saas unicorns in india have come from serving the domestic market uh, from zoho to fresh tech to druva to postman to zenoti all of them are global place much of the revenue comes from serving global customers is a bharat saas play possible one where all of your customers are based in india well yes but the playbook that is emerging for domestic saas place is a saas plus marketplace model one where you are you use saas software as a hook to fashion a marketplace and then facilitate transactions and take a cut of it or sell fintech uh, stroke loan product um i like to call this model as sastra a portmanteau of saas plus transactions it is this thesis that indian saas would grow as sastra and not as a pure saas like in the west uh, that inspired a bet on class plus and pro call uh, end quote and so again you know you you looked at something which is different and and then you're able to you know point it out and and label it so this um is a useful skill i believe in in storytelling and and you know in, in narratives and not too many people do this although in each of their uh, industries or functions or departments i'm sure if they think about what they are doing they will come up with such patterns yeah. right so is there a trick to doing this or how is it that you can you know get, get better at this yeah there's some uh i think some point there has to be some native interest or some native talent um, i'm not a big big uh, fan that there is something intrinsic to someone but i think there is some native interest you have to have in this sort of uh, I probably think i'm have half an academic living within me the fact that i can of uh, bring out these concepts but i find that they play a very important role as thinking tools so uh, i don't know who said it but um, i think was it uh, Lord Whitehead, I said that, or was it? Uh, but man advances by making things automatic, right? Again, I don't know what exactly it is. It probably need a better. If I had time for research, I'd have researched out. But you progress by making things which are complicated automatic, like fire. 
just imagine uh, 3000 BC you are sitting and kind of kindling like you know trying to create fire controlling it so you take a lighter and just light it right so the 15 16 uh, like no but no like 100 examples you can give of this my 15 16 but i would say that uh, even business also you advance by taking a concept and making it automatic or easy to understand or universal like position in marketing all of us have studied the reason we study concept the idea is once you give a name to a concept once you kind of structure out a concept then you can take that concept it's universally understood and you can play with it you can link it to another concept you can say okay uh, positioning and segmenting how they relate okay segmenting is also a complex concept right then you can take positioning and play with it a positioning for uh, senior citizens or positioning does where it doesn't work positioning for why google person or things like that okay so feel we advance in um kind of uh, business by taking certain concept making it automatic and then getting time instead of wasting time explaining all that thing or everything making it automatic so you can go on so sort of these are reasons why i kind of uh, create these concepts or constructs they communicate i think complex ideas in very simple terms uh they come out of a deep respect for the readers time uh so to me i think uh the fact that people are paying all my content is free but people are paying for it with attention and what i'm trying to do is today buy get paid with more and more expensive attention like for example um there was a very senior person uh business policy etc who wrote to me for indus valley and it was a long mail and i said look uh, this is one of the highest currencies nobody is paid for me this is equivalent of getting paid few lakhs because that person took out 40 minutes of his time sitting out and writing that and it's a very well known person right and he engaged with that and the person has paid for industrially with the highest currency possible his time and attention more than his time his time you will get when you're riding with him and his attention and focus you have got so today my goal is to get paid for my work with the highest currency possible which is time and attention of someone who's which is very valuable right so to make that easily uh, possible i need to simplify uh, and i try to reduce the intellectual energy that is required to consume my this one so the to write a very complex topic and serve it as liquid diet is sort of my goal and sort of uh, so there the the kind of writing that i do it's uh, there's a term for it uh, the conventional term is called classic style so there's a book called clear and simple as the truth which lays this out steven uh, pinker's book the sense of style also describes this style amit verma also teaches a similar thing he calls it clear style it's the same thing where you try and give clarity to the reader uh, by making it as simple for them to understand the basic concept as possible and the deep desire deep desire that i have to make it easy for the reader is what leads me to create these concepts so to give them these mental building blocks and make it easy to engage on it so this is sort of what i think this is a little bit of an interest like i like creating these monikers there are a lot of internal things in in bloom which have coined which, which you can't share but within bloom to i kind of do that and many of those concepts have helped us uh, kind of uh, discuss these things and get clarity 
Like we have a certain way of categorizing founders. We have a certain way of uh, categorizing investment things. Uh, all of that has come from, like I would say, like my engagement with 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 the with, with the team. Yeah, and uh, so it does help. I would think it just shorts up the process of uh, discussion and discovery. Completely agree, yeah, Sajit. You know, one visual metaphor that sometimes comes to my mind when I um, when I think of what you're doing. I, actually, two, two, three. Things, many of them are connected. One is, you know, you've got like a imagine a bucket or a box, uh, a basket. Sorry, full of different different sorts of beads. Yeah. And if you had to kind of take it all with you, it's it's unwieldy, yeah. right? You know, you you may drop stuff and it. What you're essentially doing is, you know, picking out four or five connected yeah. beads and then threading yeah. uh, something, an idea through them, Brilliant. and then making a necklace. And then now it's easy for me to carry. I can carry that in in one small Brilliant. finger, and then I can have more yeah. space for more. Brilliant. Uh, so uh, all of these are very very useful for. Yeah. Uh, the the next idea I want to talk about uh, again from a uh, narrative building point of view is what the a concept that I call as norm and variance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sajid, which is you know uh, one of the best tools in the hands of a storyteller mm-hmm. to get and hold that very valuable resource uh, attention of the audience is the power of surprise, mm-hmm. and you see that throughout the the Indus Valley report, right? Because you know every slide has something which is surprising, almost mm-hmm. which you know you you think you know your country, you think mm-hmm. you don't. So there's so much mm-hmm. starting uh, with that brilliant photo of a guy selling pens yeah. on the street with a QR code scanner. Um, now uh sometimes it's like it's not too difficult for somebody to spot something surprising like that yeah. guy who was selling pens or or but in a lot of situations it's not apparently surprising it's not surprising on the yeah. on the face of yeah. it but a good storyteller has the ability to step back and find what is surprising about it and by doing mm-hmm. what i call as looking for the right norms i'll give an example from what you had mentioned in the another podcast conversation and this surprised me tremendously so we all take for granted that india has a certain amount of venture capital floating around and you know that there mm-hmm. are a bunch mm-hmm. of vcs and bunch of pe's and there's a, enough activity happening uh, it seems uh, adequate i don't mm. know i mean we don't know whether it is too high for a country of india size too low we just take it as saying ha huh, this is mm. it you know we, we don't really question it we don't but what you said in that um, uh, conversation was that india is overventured mm-hmm. the first time i'd heard that uh, term yeah. and uh, the the number that you used to support that was that if you compare indian industry the indian economy versus uh, turkey or mexico mm-hmm. we have about 22 times 22 mm-hmm. times the venture uh, investments coming mm-hmm. in so we are actually a much smaller economy mm-hmm. but we get a far more interest yeah. from global uh, capital and then you you talk about some really fascinating reasons for that including you know our engineering yeah. talent silicon valley all of that so of course you know we can dive into that specific one but here the the skill that you bring that is interesting which which i teach as a and, and it's not an easy one is that when you come across that number you have to first question that you know this seems yeah. something seems off yeah. here you know so how do you even come to that hypothesis that you know let me check how much is india's venture versus gdp compared to somebody yeah. else you know that that's that's my first question because that that's where the seed comes in once you find it out then yeah. the the insight becomes interesting yeah. but how do you think about that yeah. as a, a potential for an interesting yeah. insight so 
I, I, I told you earlier that uh, a lot of my writing style uh, comes out of a deep desire to simplify things for my reader, right? So uh, don't have a like a prototypical reader in mind, but I have someone who's intellectually curious and is always questioning me, Tokya, Tokya, like, you know, so what, like, you know, uh, and I find like when I'm writing like that, I have to extract out juice for this reader uh, in every passage. and. So the article actually started out by trying to, there was this tweet which I came across and there was a very interesting conversation I was part of uh, about uh, the Indian middle class, etc. And I, But I also saw that India is growing and I was trying to kind of combine these two contradictions together. Venture was growing in India like crazy. So I kind of combine these two contradictions together and uh, try to explain them uh, is, is, is what uh, kind of... Uh, uh, this article came, but this articles like, but I say that with a lot of respect, right? With overventure, I have to be very careful. I don't want to say that oh, India is like you know, like like this is too much money floating around. But I had to kind of use a particular word, and overventure was the right word. Uh, but it came out of a deep desire to explain a contradiction to my readers and to myself, and of a deep desire to create context for my readers. Like, you know, so like exactly as you said, so what? Like, so maybe normal, like for India to have a big country. But when you explain that, no, actually it is a big country, but the real engine of is the 30, 40, 50 million households and similar households exist in Mexico also, but their industry is really small. So how do you kind of explain this? So, so I would say that, uh, uh, so I would say one theme a lot of what I do is I try to explain contradictions that exist, right? Two opposing facts. What could be the joining? And typically it's a theory which joins two opposing things. Uh, it, you know, and and I think it is trying to explain this to my reader, uh, whoever he or she is, uh, where I try to kind of uh, create these building blocks, uh, try to simplify things, try to create context. Uh, if I if you don't have a deep respect for your reader's time, then you will broadly write something. Like for example, I'll give you a very uh, simple example. Internally, the code word for Indus Valley Annual Report was IVAR. Okay, Indus Valley Annual Report. Okay, and we actually, um, uh, but in the report, you will not see IVAR written anywhere because it's an internal view of the world, right? Externally, it's always Indus Valley Annual Report. Even the bitly link for that is Indus Valley 2022. So it comes with a deep desire that I don't want my reader to think even for a second of something if I'm not going to use it again. Like, you know, when do you use acronyms? We use acronyms when, like, for example, you want to use it repeatedly. So organizations have three-letter acronyms, four-letter, whatever, like, you know, yeah. But with your reader, you want to create no burden. Right, and that is what writing is. So it comes out of that, and I think that is one of the reasons why my writing, whatever you may say, right, you know, it, 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 I want it to be read and I want it to be absorbed, and I'm willing to do anything to make that easy. Yeah. Very, very interesting, and I think uh, just the ability to uh, find these contradictions, even though they may not be sometimes apparent to uh, to an external person. And then uh, from the point of view of the reader, uh, yeah. try and connect those contradictions with the theory. Maybe you can just talk about your uh, uh, theories as to why you believe that India is a little overventured. Okay. So, yeah. Specifically, I think that 
India's overventure, it comes from the fact that for a country of, uh, I mean, you are a billion point four, but uh, the real economic engine is 30, 35 million households, which they call India one, for 100, 100, 100 million people. And they account for about half the country's economic output. And if anything, this their power is growing. Coach actually benefited this class. Uh, they are the salary class, they have regular salaries, regular income, etc. They can predict the future easily. They invest in the stock market. Everything that you read about is largely this plus class. Uh, but uh, even despite being so small and despite being the engine of e-commerce, etc., the kind of we are the fourth largest. In fact, we could even be the third largest next year venture market in the world. Uh, and that uh, is what I call overventured. That how is it that despite just 30, 40, 30, 30 40 million households um, and who are largely bearing the burden of economic growth in the country of progress were driving this, but slowly growing, this class is slowly growing, but not as fast as it should be. Uh, why is it there is so much uh, focus on startups and focus on this in the country? And for that, there are other explanations too. It helps that India has a very evolved elite uh, uh, engineering class, which actually navigates between Silicon Valley and India. Uh, kind of this, then of course it's also a growth market, uh, and then multiple factors. But this is sort of what I meant by overventured. That how is it that despite having such a small economic engine relatively to the population, how is it that India is able to kind of outperform many other large markets like Germany? Germany comes nowhere close to India. You would think Germany has big an economy, but bigger nowhere, twice the size of India. 80 million uh, large, uh, bigger than India, uh, whatever, you know, but, but no, comes nowhere close. Not even half of India is uh, this thing, I think. Um, but yeah, so various other factors. I'm almost simplifying it too much. Uh, and I, the idea was not, the entire article was not about overventuring, but was using overventuring as a lens to understand India. And I think sort of uh, contradictions, right? You asked about that. I think they come out of a deep curiosity. Uh, about the country, about this, and sort of having that world outlook where, like, wow, like, you know, like looking at something afresh with DBI, so to say. And some I don't do that all the time, but once in a while it does happen. And I think it comes out of a deep desire, curiosity. Like, you know, like when I'm sitting once in Bangalore airport, seeing um, uh, Dhoti clad passenger next to me, and something I said, uh, like, uh, what a world, right? Everything is written in English in the Bangalore airport, right? Everything, there's nothing written in Canada. Like in the Bangalore really? airport, inside the shops, the, the the shopping area, like crossword is written in. I don't think anything is written in Canada. Inside, not the directions to the bathroom and all that. But, uh, and then I, the then I said, there is a, the, the, the view came of the burden on him. And the, then the idea of the English tax came from that. That there is a tax on his attendance thing. That we we put makes it difficult for him to engage with this thing. But yeah, so sort of it comes from that curiosity, and I'm saying different people will have that. But if you don't have that innate curiosity, uh, I think um, um, uh, you it will be a challenge. Like like for you, I think it comes sort of that. That curiosity is what allows me to recognize contradictions, right? You know. So 
there's this term that uh, sorry sorry yeah, I, yeah, I, go I, on, go on yeah. that. there's a term that i think prakash ayer had um, talked about in this podcast i mean he writes about that called bhuja de uh which is i guess what you were trying to you know what what you were uh, yeah. you know displaying there which is seeing something ordinary yeah. which all of us see all the time but then noticing what is extraordinary about it noticing what is unusual about it i think that's a usual yeah. uh, that's a important skill yeah to, like for example um, uh, so something similar came across and probably the next indus valley which is that uh, the founder of polygon which is a block like a blockchain layer to blockchain uh tweeted saying that they put some they tied up with the maharashtra government to put some caste certificates online and i thought that was fascinating it's like blockchain web3 like cutting edge being used for something which is But, ancient right you know like i find that this so i think some people may notice it but to me it was like wow like you know this is like fascinating that these two worlds intersect like yeah Sorry. Yeah. No, I think it's 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 great, Sujit, that you have that antenna always. You know that curiosity antenna, the Bujadi antenna always open, and that's I think a it's a skill that yeah I think people can and should develop. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about uh, the actual writing process yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about all these you know narrative building uh, tools. Yeah. Uh, when and where do you have like a preferred time and place to do your yeah. actual writing, especially for slightly long form yeah. content? Yeah. So uh, first, again, meta. right uh i find that all of my reputation actually rests on a few pieces right you might think i've written so much uh my first art, like there's an article which i introduced a community of indians called indo ambulance so it was my first hit india 1 2 3 uh indus valley 3 4 right what four pieces five pieces you could say remove those four pieces and Like we'll come down to like what I suggest that because a lot of the conversation that I generated comes in those four pieces. So I've come to the conclusion that epic pieces matter a lot. Like even Indus Valley. Uh, like for example, there are two podcasts that are coming thanks to the Indus Valley. This one. Um, there'll be a lot more conversations. Like this senior person writing to me. Uh, wouldn't have happened without this epic piece. So my view is that every year I should. That, 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 but sorry, not my view, but my 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 conclusion was that every year I should focus on one, two, at least one, but at least two large epic pieces, and I make time for it and I plan that out. Those pieces take a lot of time. So first epic piece for 2022 was in this valley. Last year I did two, one on valuations called exhaust fumes, and I did one on Indus Valley playbook, which happened in the early part of the year. uh that was a long article so balaji tweeted that etc and you kind know, of uh, so uh i would say that that takes a lot of time and that is almost like like a small book like you need to plan that out you know but apart from that i do a monthly uh kind of uh uh thinking aloud pieces once a month at least if not twice a month uh and those pieces just There's a desire to explain something to the world, or just share something and get a feedback. And uh, typically, it's been around startup-related stuff, but not always. So, you know, and I also try to use forcing functions there of a newsletter. But you know, uh, kind of. Uh, so there are two newsletters. One is the Visile, which is sort of about a summary of uh, which I do with a friend called Rohit Call, which is sort of uh, uh, a summary of the podcast transcripts I listen to that month. It's a monthly newsletter. But the other one, 
which is sajitpai.substack.com is a bit more irregular uh, but i'm trying to make it at least once a fortnight and where i kind of write one original piece at least uh, so i'm trying to use that as a forcing function to kind of create that original piece and there i think uh, one you know, realizes that even if i if i go like to say don't write for a month sometimes it's a thought which builds in you and then suddenly one day like it's there and i've kind of written sometimes in an hour hour and a half right uh, to kind of uh, very strange so typically in the morning i don't keep uh, meetings i use it for email and stuff like that so i remember coming back after a workout session and it's kind of there within me I started writing from 8:30 to 11 and it was done like stone half hours right and like so 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 sometimes so it's but so sort of the opposite so there are long pieces which take a lot of time and sometimes i'm writing that the short pieces out the short pieces typically are within me they're simpler they're like typically 1000 1500 words and so that's sort of how it happens um uh but sometimes things do intermediate as well three session three seatings etc like uh, but typically i found when i have to write uh, like a 1500 word piece 2000 word piece i plan it over a weekend start writing friday evenings and by like uh, friday evening is one session saturday morning afternoon is one session uh saturday evening might be one session sunday might be another session at best but but like three three hour sessions you do out four of the, like three four of them i mean i don't think you need more than that to kind of write a piece like you know so uh, uh yeah so, so so that's sort of how my writing this one is uh find it larger pieces i do make a table i structure out a table of uh, sections i broadly decide what i'll write in that section so having a word a word table or an excel table it actually helps structure around uh i think uh, uh broadly um the flow format uh, how do you put it the so after you have the sections your main sections etc there's a sort of a narrative that builds you need to kind of so for example you set out let's say the contradictions like the starting takes a lot of a little bit of time so you it takes me takes a lot of time because it, so um, hey here is a contradiction this is a contradiction a not equal to b why is a not equal to b okay to understand that we need to understand c c explains a b c d explains where you can't use c to explain a and b and done but that's article let's say okay but the structure of this flow takes a bit of time and there's always this incredible like i always feel that like writing uh, like the, the at the core of writing is that one session one two three hour session where your every building block is in the air and you're just structuring it into that one thing sort of the clo- i've heard people talk about coding and come comes close to that where you hold everything in your head and you kind of just structure it into one thing so uh uh so yeah so this is sort of about writing uh uh broadly two types of writing long form and short fo- short form and uh, uh, kind of uh, yeah this is how it kind of comes through I, like i said again no universal truth right people who do the exact You're opposite right. of what i do and they do it well yeah no but these are great points sajit in terms of you know um taking that 2 3 hour chunk i think that is useful it's um i sometimes struggle with you know finding that and often you try and say okay can i do something in half an hour and then that might be a bit of a struggle so i think you're right at at some level everybody has to find uh, their own way uh, i was recently listening to uh, tim ferris talk to morgan housel uh, of uh, collaborative fund and uh, morgan writes brilliantly and his um, 
uh, writing style uh, you might have heard of is is he writes on walks. Mm. So he'll he'll have an idea and then he'll go for several walks around his neighborhood. Mm. Um, and then he's you know he'll he'll be thinking about it and then he'll come again. He says I can't sit in front of a desk and write. And then once he comes back, it's formed in his head and he's able to write. So it's interesting how different people mm. use different ways. Um, another uh, uh, point you had made about writing was about the impact of the WAC course from IMA. Yeah. And uh, I had, of course, gone through that. So just writing and was it writing analysis and the, oh, yeah, written analysis and, and communication. Yeah. Written analysis, communication. <laughs> there we go. And uh, so there you mentioned one uh, piece of advice that stuck with you uh, from WAC days, which is that, you know, each sentence uh, should connect with the next one or, uh, and, and so on, right? So and it should kind of, you know, build upon the other. And that triggered a thought. And it was around that time that I was talking to my dad, uh, who, who you know, uh, reads a lot of stuff about uh, spirituality, religion and and culture. And so there's a style in Tamil poetry uh, called an- Antadi, Antadi, sorry, Antadi, I, sh- I should pronounce it right. So Anta and Adi. And it actually follows this to a T where the last word or, or, or phrase or whatever of one sentence becomes the exact first word of the next one and so on. And kind of, you know, builds, builds upon that. And that's what the most famous example of an Antadi is Abhirami Antadi. And uh, once once in life, I should learn Tamil and uh, and maybe you know read some of these gems in our in our literature. And uh, it's interesting, right? You know how some of these techniques have been around yeah. uh, with 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 us all the time, and you know how how we use that. So do, do you try and do that little deliberately when you are actually crafting the sentences? Absolutely. And thank you for this uh, Antadi example uh, concept. I'm going to Google this as soon as we're done with this. Absolutely. Um, writing again, repeat, is about reducing the intellectual burden, uh, ensuring that the energy consumption, the intellectual energy consumption of the reader is minimal. And the best writing narrative is where you take the reader, get that person's attention, and then don't deviate from that till you reach. It's sort of like, like almost like Google Maps, right? I take you from point A to B, and do this show you what is on the sides, left and right, and I get you to B. And while doing that, the idea is that everything should lead naturally. A should lead to B, should lead to C, to D, E, E, F, and so on and so forth. And I find that it's not that you can't have breaks uh, or segues or uh, section. Then you do section breaks and explain why the section break is there. But uh, great writing, and, and all of us have had these uh, moments, right? When we get into a book and then start reading and then suddenly it's like, wow, like some, your mother comes and tells you or your wife comes and tells you that, hey, like, you're still reading. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And suddenly you realize that, oh, 60 pages done. Like, I thought I just started now. Like, you know, 100 pages done. How is it? That's, that's great writing. That holds, it takes you, just strings you along, right? And uh, so, look, that's fiction. Fiction I think sometimes it's a little easier. Uh, Non-fiction, business writing is harder. Uh, It's not as easy to get someone through 60 pages, but even 600 words is not easy, right? Attention today. Look at how all of us are reading. Uh, You just Google, see something on LinkedIn, click on it, like two paragraphs done. Like, you know, so it's not easy at all. And, 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 And hence, 
everything that they do is, is structured and i'm not saying everybody relevant sets and reads my work it's not, i'm not saying that but sometimes you do have to write long there's an audience for everything that you do and uh, i'm saying my concepts are complex but the way in which it's communicated doesn't have to be so you always keep these two so you can have very very complex concepts explaining very simple language and i always get worried when a uh, lot of philosophical writing etc is extremely complex to understand and i feel like the person explaining it hasn't understood what they're trying to say or they kind of obfuscated too much so this is one of the things i do try i'm going to try to write something and it's not very clear ask the person to rewrite what are you trying to say like you know and typically what i tell is explain it and it happens in startup pitches too in fact in startup pitches have some people have written to me and i've told them no i didn't understand explain it like you would explain to your grandfather because with that grandfather you can't use concept like platform and all that right then you explain that this is what we do we we sell this and get this money right or we hope to get this money so i would say try to explain it to your grandfather the intelligent elder like 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 the smart 55 year old uncle or aunt or this very curious 17 year old niece uh who's always uh, kind of uh, trying to explain these uh, these these personas seems to help personas yeah i love that uh, pradeep uh, you know when we were talking about you know connecting sentences and building upon another book that uh, uh, that my memory triggered uh, is this one called the elements of eloquence uh, by mark forsett okay. have you have you I've heard of the book i've heard of the book it's about rhetoric i haven't read it Uh, I've heard of the book. So, because you're you're mentioning about you know sometimes you know nonfiction may not be uh, this is nonfiction book which I could not actually put wow. down and he writes so well. Um, it's of course you know it, it's uh, it's about writing and you, as you rightly said the fi- the figures of rhetoric and you know maybe uh, it goes far beyond the the similes and metaphors and analogies that we learned. Um, but the way he writes it you know takes so many uh, examples a, a lot of it from classic literature from shakespeare and and a bunch of others and charles dickens and stuff uh, but also a lot of it from present day maybe pop song lyrics and to kind of tell you, you know how these are universal you'll find them all over and uh, he did something kind of similar to the antadi uh, thing where uh, he would introduce by talking about let's say alliteration and then he will you know talk about multiple examples of alliteration you know and funny tones and all of that and in the end he will uh, use one he'll end with one example of alliteration and he'll say but this is also an example of synecdoche uh, or whatever right no, the second one and then he'll start the synecdoche chapter and he'll go and then he'll say but this is also an example of this and he'll go to the next one it is fascinating and he's done that for some 30 or 35 uh, figures of uh, yeah Uh, it's it's hilarious. It's it's a really good trick. Yeah, I'll keep this in um, mind. Yeah, so looks looks sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. I want to move uh, a segue a little bit into uh, narrative in organizations. Um, so you, uh, of course, you know you get pitched a lot. So there's one of one one is the narrative which is used for pitching, but I want to talk about the narrative which is used for uh, critical business reviews. Mm-hmm. so you have a bunch of portfolio companies and i'm sure they do mm-hmm. a bunch of reviews with mm-hmm. you uh, might be monthly quarterly or whatever mm-hmm. and in doing so uh, i'm guessing they're presenting a lot of data mm-hmm. uh, numbers to you in terms of performance mm-hmm. and you know how's the industry going mm-hmm. etc um 
before coming to the narrative element in these reviews mm-hmm. uh, i want to spend some time with you on saying are organizations mm-hmm. um, the ones that you interact mm-hmm. with really data driven mm-hmm. how strong do you find their ability to actually have a very uh, data driven discussion versus uh, you know in my own experience of of having worked with organizations i often used to found, find that uh, discussions and debates would you know a lot of time be driven by gut feel a little bit emotion mm. that you mm. know and half baked data mm. and and so mm. on so what's your sense of the use of data in in these discussions yes no i agree with you uh, i don't think uh, uh, yes there are uh, very data oriented cultures i've heard amazon is like that and fortunately or fortunately i'm not worked there uh, so hard for me to say times um, uh, i would say they uh, they were there were meetings which are very data driven but there were also meetings which were not so data driven so i don't think there's any universal truth with uh, respect to data i would think that uh, uh, specifically the culture of having strong hypothesis uh, and using data uh, to kind of determine if those hypotheses are right okay uh is not as common in india even as much in startups as i would as we would like to think i think specifically i think the most critical uh aspect here is determining what data matters and determining what metrics matter so i would say i think one of the areas where i work very closely with my founders is triangulating between the goals the metrics and the incentives to ensure to to align behavior so obviously to reach the next level of funding you need to hit abc goals could be revenue or gmv goals customer goals etc or aov goals etc uh uh cac goals uh how do you measure the success of them you have to be very very careful what metrics matter like for example uh if you measure let's say for a media company if you measure total number of users and don't have a metric metric of length of user uh session then and the incentives are linked primarily to the number of users what you will end up with is an organization where they are incentivized to bring people for half a minute half a minute half a minute and not spend any time so it's very important to determine uh what your key north star metrics are what the check metrics to your north star metrics are more importantly i always focus on controllable input metrics to them okay not even on the output the output is clear right output is revenue not denying that but what if you find that the revenue is determined by number of closures and closures are determined by number of pilots you do is a direct correlation with the number of pilots number of closures and revenue booked number of pilots is determined by the number of calls you make outbound so controllable input metric is just increase the number of calls 
okay and what is it that you need to do you need to put more sales more trade whatever do that so and incentivize the controllable input metrics clearly that you will do this much and if you do this much whatever right and alignment around that is sort of critical and i would say where i've seen challenges in organizations not that data is not used everybody looks at data right but the step of determining what data is relevant and to determining what conclusions to draw from data is where things go a little wrong otherwise data is there all over like you know and and, and but yeah so this is sort of uh, uh, yeah probably take a break here yeah go on no, very fascinating sajit because uh... I remember you had also mentioned this in one of the Visile editions where uh, you, you had uh, talked about Zoom using a uh, daily meeting participants as a metric, mm-hmm. and you know how you had pointed out that you know that that that's an interesting. They didn't talk about total number of meetings or total number of users mm-hmm. or signups mm-hmm. or da- app downloads mm-hmm. uh, because somebody could download the app and not really use it, right? And that's that's not what you're uh, you know wanting. Right. And so choice of the right metric is important, and you mm-hmm. know tying that with the overall goal, tying that with the incentive. uh metrics can be abused <laughs> so how, how do you you know so having having the check metric all of that very useful um a related question now building on this um is this requirement to to you know really find out what is this north star metric something that is more critical for uh, organizations which are in early stage which have not yet probably found proper product market fit or do you think even uh large organizations and you know you've been in times and maybe others also uh also struggle with the the actual uh, metrics to, to figure out uh, to to, monitor, to optimize yeah. um i think a little more important early stage which i'm not hit pms because uh, because you don't even know what metrics really matter like for example deciding on user versus engagement metrics matters a lot okay because engagement metrics are re- even more critically retention metrics matters even more like you know so there's a hierarchy of metrics and what happens in um, larger organizations like times exercise user metrics by in and itself are enough because the product has been in existence for a long time and your broad view like times for example doesn't want engagement metric to come they can't measure it also like how many minutes have you spent with the newspaper this session length you can measure through web thing but in newspaper you can't measure they do surveys but we all know that nobody reads for more than 15 20 minutes that's a length but it's fine like that's how it is so i would say that with respect to larger organizations yes ideally you should and you get to see warning signs very fast but it is not used as much and it's probably not important because you see warning signs in revenue also etc but in early stage it matters a lot what you pick and how you pick so there's a recent book which came out by uh uh andrew chen uh and uh, the life of me like uh, uh it's uh, it just it just can't seem to kind of uh, uh, kind of just a mental block it'll come to me and uh, uh it it talks about uh network effects and it talks about uh kind of how to kind of is it the cold start problem yeah the cold start absolutely the cold start so uh cold start is how you kind of crank up a marketplace absolutely 
it's the life of me i couldn't kind of figure out why i forgot it but yeah so it talks about how um, in dropbox deciding to focus on the uh the data size and they were looking at people who used to store a lot of data they said these are the most valued customers they discussed them as high value customers turned out to be a mistake because a lot of students were using dropbox to store their music files video files versus when they looked back and said look at the customers who are continuously using it and a lot of changes are happening okay so they were updating the data and those were the more core customers high value customers in fact because they were using dropbox to sync data and that turned out to be a better predictor of who would pay and typically found that students don't pay they store a lot of data but they don't pay so payment was linked to they went after the customers who were syncing data and not storing data so the way you define metrics matters a lot in, in so the right metric has to align between the strategy and the goals uh so uh of course this can go on and on but yeah so sort of uh, is there any uh, uh good book recommendation that comes to mind on this just this topic of choice of the right metric apart from maybe andrew chen's book i don't think there's a book as such but uh, there's a bunch of articles which uh, uh i think you can you can check out uh, a little more in the startup world Lenny Ratchetsky of uh, the Lenny Lenny is Lenny Sun on Twitter yeah Lenny Sun on Twitter the Lenny Ratchetsky's newsletter has occasionally a couple of articles can depends on what kind of uh, uh, products like for example for top down sales what matters etc would be different from market cases etc so Lenny Ratchetsky has a popular post on this one uh, which talks about different metrics and different segments but i don't think there's a book as such at least as so as far as i can recall Well, that's a great uh, uh, source that's useful uh, so uh, again back to organizations review meeting so one you're clearly saying uh, make sure that you're you're optimizing the right metric um, the, the second point i wanted to talk about in some of these review meetings uh, portfolio companies etc that you go through is um, how important is it uh, to have narrative skills on the part of the startup uh, founder or or the finance leader or whoever is going to be making the presentation and where do you see that current level of that narrative building skill yeah. whether it is startup or even not a startup narrative yeah. building is important and i always like to think of it in terms of lines not dots so whenever you see someone come and do a great presentation sell a great story etc uh i don't feel it's there's there's no overnight success that person has done a lot of work at the back end to shape something right um uh, typically people who uh, have these say strong narrative skills are using it all the time so they would have had preliminary communication going out they would have articulated it some bit of self selection of the audience would have happened over time right so uh, to uh, the success happens uh, when there's a fit between the audience and the product and the content like for example let's say you have 60 year old grandmothers and you have a stand up comic going out there and talking very hard right like you need a certain kind of audience and that audience you to self select themselves into it which is what success is about so i would say that uh, uh anyone seeking to 
uh, use narrative to kind of get something through, either a proposal through or get a certain view through, has to do a lot of work leading into the meeting to set the context, to set the agenda. Like, you know, you can't leave it to the meeting. You need to have a clearer understanding of the context. You need to have clear understanding of what assumptions are important. And you need to communicate why ABC assumptions matter more than CDE assumptions. And come in. You need to do a lot of buying, etc. For that, when everyone comes, you can then present, oh, since ABC assumptions are important, this is, it seems very logical. So I would say this is a, it's, a, it's a line, not a dot. Don't leave it only to the meeting. It's not a question of coming there and speaking well. It's, 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 it's effectively a way of, uh, 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 of, of, of shaping worldviews and uh, using, your, using whatever your writing, your presentation, etc., cetera, uh, to kind of uh, uh, illustrate what seems very logical, but it's actually being shaped in the background. So, 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 right, yeah. so this is sort of uh, uh, the other one is uh, even for feedback uh, like narrative and why narrative, why storytelling, why thing matters is one of my big learnings is that um, uh, you don't get the kind of feedback from a client, from a senior person if a certain quality uh, or uh, doesn't doesn't go in into the basic artifact. So, for example, uh, let's say you're going to meet, like let's say the Tata CEO, Len Chandrasekhar or something. Like that. Uh, when you go, even if it's just a draft proposal, if it's like a very detailed one, thirty page, looks well. It's not like he's going to spend fifteen minutes reading it. But even to him to look at it, and senior people have this instinctive sense of when a lot of work has gone in. Right? It's, a, it's like a sixth sense. They also get a sense of how serious the proposal is. So you need a certain quality of artifact for him or her to give that feedback. So what I mean by that is, if I need to go to my boss, I will, the amount of work I've done going into the meeting will give me exact value of feedback. For example, if I put a lot of effort into it, and if it's just a five-minute meeting, that person look at and say, oh, you've done a lot of work. No, no, no. Let me give you one hour. Like, you know, uh, that, that he or she himself will say, yeah. Be, the quality of the feedback of a, will be of a higher listing. The volume and level of the feedback will be at a certain level. So, so storytelling narrative is not, I same thing, it's lines, not dots. So for a very critical meeting, the quality of work done, quality of this thing, why this why this session matters, where it fits into your worldview, where it gives you value. When you structure out all of this and you've done not just the last meeting, but you've done a set of meetings beforehand to kind of create those artifacts, share those artifacts. And there's so much value work in those artifacts that people give you that kind of feedback. That gets the process better. So... Which I'm saying, there's no overnight success. There's no, there's like, there's no one who's going there with one, two sentences and winning the proposal or convincing someone. There's a lot of work that's happened in the back end to kind of have that. This is sort of what I would say. Yeah. Well, it's very useful, uh, Sajid, because um, I, this triggers this idea uh, uh, that I think um, I, McKinsey would tell uh, its consultants to ha get that prior buy-in. 
the last meeting that you're doing the final meeting should be just a formality yeah. where you know you're just now you've already met each leader individually mm. taken them through the key findings proposals ideas taken their inputs mm. uh, so that they also feel that sense of ownership and then finally when you're presenting of course you know politics can always happen but at the end of it if if the person is in line then hopefully you know they will they will connect and they will agree with with what you're yeah. saying um but having said that even when you're actually going for that prior meeting um you can't just throw data at that person right you have to have that line as you rightly say not not a i love that analogy yeah. by the way line versus dots uh because the dots look uh, disparate and uh, confusing and you, you can't really find that pattern the line makes them see the pattern um apart from many of the techniques that you have spoken uh, so far um if somebody has a cr- crucial meeting let's say the next day and they've got all the data uh w- what would you suggest to them to be able to you know find that narrative to build that so that you know they've got a, a better chance of of making an impact in that meeting? yeah so i think it's very important to find common ground and drive alignment you need to understand again like i said right respect for the reader so sort of that person is like a reader of the narrative you're building so but more critical the decision maker right like so you need to understand how do you doubted your narrative into that person's narrative everyone has a narrative it may be articulated and apparent or it may not be your job to find out okay i'm meeting x person so for example it could be a startup pitching to a large company and the large you need to understand why is a large company needing my product okay so my product helps simplify gets insights from data simple let's say and this company is now unable to get insights and suddenly they have a lot of data i need to help them now if for example i am able to kind of shape this like and and kind of articulate that hey mr x or miss x you're trying to do this this is how it can help you it's easier then they think oh great i want to do this and these guys are going to help me do this great to the extent by which my narrative sub narrative dovetails into your larger narrative and gives a push to that narrative this will succeed if you are telling me that my product will help you do x cross revenue and all you need is to give do this so it's fine you know so so i think it's very important for you to kind of understand so if you're saying it's a critical meeting tomorrow and it's a mid level person presenting to see you do everything you can to find out what the larger person's narrative is spoken or unspoken and how you can link Beautiful. to that and the first sentence you should make should be sir or madam you're trying to do this to achieve this let me tell you how this project can kind of help i love that i think that is that is the that is a critical thing you're fundamentally showing that you are aligned to their vision it's sort of incredible that that's such a beautiful base uh, of of you know sharing that uh, uh, sharing a clear actionable i think way to to build that narrative we could go on such yeah. but i think it's been it's been uh, two very insightful fascinating hours i'd like to just wrap up with a couple of sure. questions um one which is that uh, what's the one uh, book that you have uh, gifted the most yeah. to others around you and you could it could be either a non fiction or a fiction book and the next one is more a uh, leisure one right so do you have any uh, guilty pleasure in terms of uh, 
junk food content yeah. so, so to speak so for example i love watching uh, on youtube oh. these sketch comedy shows uh, whether it's lee mac or you know uh, key and peel or or bunch of others uh, foil arms and hog and a bunch of others so what would be your uh, guilty pleasures and of course the first the, the books that you you've gifted the most yeah the book that i've gifted the most is uh, andy gross high output management um it's i think the only book so <laughs> kind of uh, canvassing for uh, other books as well but it's i think the only book on business management anyone needs to read andy grove wrote this book uh, uh, it's kind of the third uh, founder of intel in in the late 70s or 80s could this was after uh, only the paranoid survive or? i think it was before uh, i think it was before and he kind of wrote this as a business guide uh, to uh, kind of so talk it kind of introduces the concept of okrs uh, in a slightly different way it is not called okrs calls it something else then introduces how to run meetings uh, one is to one meeting uh, how to run that so i need to reread it uh, but uh, it's something that i have uh, kind of uh, gifted the most I try and gift it to all my founders uh, but look um, a lot of people have succeeded without reading the book too so it's not like uh, you need to kind of read the book to succeed but it's a it's a it's a good book uh, it kind of gives you uh, a set of frameworks and i think the most important framework it's given me uh and it helped move me away uh, for example when i was uh, uh an in- individual contributor uh role briefly i had read uh, deep work by cal newport and that influenced certain things in me but i realized to realize that when you are accountable for a team that's not a good book uh and uh, th- that doesn't have relevant frameworks instead a better one is what andy grove says we talks about your output being the combined output of the team that you are responsible for and your influence so concepts of leverage uh, all of that comes stems from that so it's an incredible book that's a book i gift everyone um uh guilty pleasures uh, interesting yeah so uh let's say uh i think one of the things i'm trying to kind of have uh, enjoyed uh, of late is uh, desi hip hop okay so uh, yeah so sort of divine uh, thanks to the movie and then divine for example i uh, listen to kohinoor kind of flavor these days i'm trying to kind of uh, there's also a variant of that called delhi hip hop and uh, so there are artists like raga krishna etc krishna of the dollar sign etc so this sort of my guilty pleasure listen to this uh it's fun uh and uh i'm also trying to kind of translate one of uh, particular one called jamna par by raga trying to kind of translate that to english uh, let's see how how well i succeed with that so that's sort of my guilty pleasure uh but uh, yeah uh, so so there you go that's lovely yeah. that's lovely sajid and for for a person who's actually staying jamna par in, in <laughs> yeah, noida as they used to call noida yeah. so that's that's uh, wonderful sachi this has been such a pleasure thank you so yeah. much for taking out uh, this time yeah. and sharing all, all these wonderful insights thank thanks, you so thanks much thanks very much such a pleasure yeah thank you thank you for having me and that was sajit pai leading vc investor and thought leader on the indian startup ecosystem a few things which stood out for me in the conversation 
the importance of careful curation of your content sources and listening to more podcasts to keeping at the writing game success takes time also it is important to have a few epic long form pieces three choosing the right metrics to optimize especially for early stage companies four uh, but how narratives are lines not dots a lot of preparation for success in a critical meeting should happen before the event itself and most importantly i think the need to have deep regard and empathy for the readers time and effort hey if you find this content valuable please rate and review this podcast on itunes spotify google podcast or wherever you listen to them it'll help others like you discover these insights this podcast was hosted by me ravishankar ayer audio editing by kartik rajan transcript editing by amisha ja and all round support by sanket alagaonkar until next time may the force of good stories be with you